Man, what a, what a truth to be reminded of that there's nothing in our life that's wasted. None of our failures. Isn't it amazing to think about how God uh, uses even our failures and they're not wasted, but that he uses them in our life. That's so, so relevant song as we continue our series through the book of Jonah. And so if you have your Bibles, grab them. Jonah uh, chapter 1. We'll f- conclude chapter 1 this morning, verses 7 uh, through 17. So turn there if you have your Bibles. You, you know, uh, if you know me uh, well at all, you know that I am an Apple fanboy. Um, I have all things Apple, and Android is the devil. <laughs> And so, uh, but the, the kind of the one, like, uh, chink in the armor, if you will, uh, the one kind of uh, knack against Apple, at least a few years ago, was Apple came out with uh, their, their, their map app to compete with Google Maps, and they came out with, you know, Apple Maps, and, and I'm all excited, you know, for, for that, but then it comes out, and it is a train wreck. Right. There are people using Apple Maps and they're literally driving into lakes and ponds and like off cliffs and uh, you couldn't trust it. And so, you, you know, you use Apple apps or Apple Maps and uh, it would take you to the wrong place. It would take you a completely strange, far route. Uh, anytime you used it, you never knew if you could really trust it. Um, and sometimes we're not sure if we can trust God to navigate us as well. Sometimes we see God taking us in a particular direction, and, we're, and when we see God taking us that way, we're, no, God, that's the wrong, we should be going that way. Why are, you, why are you taking us this way, God? God, we shouldn't, that's a storm up there, or that's a cliff over there, or that's, that's not what we want to go over here, and God is taking us somewhere, and we don't understand why he is navigating us this way or that way, why he would take us through this thing or that thing. And we wonder if we can trust the way he navigates us through life. We wonder if we can trust why he takes us through these things, through this or through that. And should we continue to trust him as we navigate, or should we, like Jonah, run in our own direction? Should we, like Jonah, run and flee the presence of the Lord and trust our own selves to navigate our life? So this question we wrestle with this morning is can we trust God to lead us even when he leads us into the middle of a storm? Let's read together Jonah chapter 1, verse 7 through 17. The Holy Spirit inspires the very words of God. They say this, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Is this you have done? For the men fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them, then they said to him, "Go to you that we may see uh, that the sea may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous." And he said to them, "Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you." Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. 
Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. We left off last week with sleeping in the bottom of the boat. He gets woken up by the captain and, he, and is asked to call out to his God for mercy. Because uh, nothing that these sailors had been doing was working. They had prayed to every god they knew, and yet the storm raged on. They had thrown everything they could spare overboard, and yet they could not make it to shore. The storm raged on. They knew they would not make it. The storm was so bad, in fact, that they knew this was no naturally occurring storm. It was the work of God, and they were trying to figure out on whose account God would send this storm. Who was God mad at that he sent this hurricane, this storm, upon them? You know, and there's a few ways you might try to figure out who God was mad at to to figure out why the storm had come. The easiest way would be simply to maybe talk to everybody and kind of figure out if anybody would kind of own up to that they did this or that. But that's not what they do. Instead, they cast lots. Now, casting lots is basically like rolling dice or drawing straws or something like that. It's a, it's a game of chance. And so they all get around this table, and they get some dice, and they roll it. And the dice would somehow indicate who was the culprit, who was to blame for the storm. They roll the dice, they cast the lots, and it falls on Jonah. Now, can you imagine being Jonah, and in that moment, the dice falls and accusing you of being responsible for this storm, and one singular moment, everyone looks up at you. And immediately, they start asking questions. What is your job? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? Tell us what you did. What is going on? They list off all of these questions. And as they list off all these questions, it's interesting because Jonah answers the last question first. Of what people are you? The last question. Most scholars say that he begins by answering this question because his racial identity was his primary basis of identity. Of what people are you? He answers, I am a Hebrew. See, before anything else, Jonah saw himself as a Hebrew, as a Jew, as the chosen people of God, special and set apart. You know, we all have something that we in our own lives see as our primary identity. Like Jonah seeing himself primarily as a Hebrew, we have something in us that we identify as. We all have one main aspect of who we are, that we naturally elevate to be the essential defining reality of who we are. So the question is, what is your primary identity in your life? Is it your race? Is it your last name? The family you belong to? Is it your political affiliations? 
Is it your job, your occupation? Is it your, your, the fact that you're a mother or a father? Is it that you're athletic? Is it that you're smart? Is it that you're wealthy? Is it that you're pretty? What in your heart of hearts do you believe or do you want your main primary identity to be? What do you want people to see you as? The answer to that question reveals a lot to us, right? You see, whatever you believe your identity to be, whatever you think or want your identity to be, incredibly influences you. It influences the way you think, the way you feel, and what you do. To say it another way, whoever you believe you are or whoever you want to be will determine how you think, how you feel, and how you act. You see, you may be many things. We are many things. Your identity is multifaceted, right? You, like many of you are, you might be a spouse, you, a, a parent. You might be an engineer or a teacher. You might be pretty or smart or wealthy. There may, you may have multiple of these things. But there should be one fundamental identity that defines you above all of the rest of those things. An identity that transcends every other facet of your life. A primary primary identity that is the driving force behind your thinking, your feeling, and your doing. As followers of Jesus, our fundamental identity is that we are adopted as children of God into his family and that we belong not to this world but to a kingdom that is coming and being built all around us. You see, the most important thing about us as followers of Jesus is not who you are, but whose you are, who you belong to. See, when you know who you belong to, that you are eternally secured in the loving embrace of a father who will never leave you or forsake you, that you have a place and an eternal kingdom that is breaking into this world, when you have that as your primary identity, When you see yourself primarily through that lens, it will change you. It will change the way you think. It will change the way you feel. And it will change the way you act. When Jonah saw his identity as primarily as being a Hebrew, it warped and distorted him from the man God wanted him to be. He did not see himself primarily as a child of God, but he saw himself as the special people of God, the Hebrews. Now, his thinking still ended up somewhat okay when he says, when he asks the question, who is your God? Jonah answers rightly, in a world of many gods, a God of the sea, a God of the land, a God of fertility, a God of the harvest, Jonah rightly says that he believes in, that he trusts in the God of, who, who made, of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah still gets who God is intellectually. He knows God is the creator of all things. He knows that God is merciful, but his identity has warped him. The way he feels is wrong. The way he feels about the Ninevites is wrong. The fact that Jonah wants the Ninevites to meet fire and fury, that he wants them to be blown off the face of the map, that he wants them annihilated. He wants God's wrath and fury to be directed and shot at them. Because Jonah has this nationalistic identity 
that he is first and foremost a Hebrew and not a child of God, warps his feeling. He feels not how God feels towards the Ninevites. And it warps his actions. He runs away from God's calling. He never answers the first question. He runs from God's calling. And in that list of questions that they ask him, he never answers the first one. What is your occupation? Maybe it is the shame that he feels for running away. But he never tells them that he's a prophet. He never tells them that he is the mouthpiece of God because he's failed in his calling. His identity has warped him so much that he is not doing the very thing God has called him to do, even in his occupation. To your identity matters. What you see yourself as and what you want to be seen as will change you, change the way you think and feel and act. Our identity, our identity must be in the cross. Our identity must be in our adoption as sons and daughters of the true king who is building a new earth, a new kingdom. That identity will set your life headed in the right direction because everything about us flows from identity. And any identity other than that will warp you in some way or fashion that will be to your detriment. So Jonah has had this identity crisis, rejecting his calling as prophet, hating those people whom he was supposed to care for, and and he's running from God and running from his mission. In verse 10, we see, it says, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? The sea grew more temptuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. And hear this part. For I know it is because of me this great temptest has come upon you. So these guys go to the bottom of the boat, they wake Jonah up, they roll some dice, it points to Jonah, and they say, it's your fault, what have you done? You're the reason for this storm. You're the reason we are all about to die. You're the reason that God is angry and threatening our lives. Now, no, no one, not Jonah, not us, nobody likes being called out, right? No one likes being called out, confronted with their own failings, their own sin, their own rebellion. When we are called out for our, for our failings, for our sin, how do we normally respond? We get defensive, right? We get defensive. We get angry. We get hurt. And we get scared that we finally got caught. There's maybe all sorts of emotions swirling around in us when someone confronts us with something they think we did wrong. When we are confronted with our sin, there are four ways that we can respond. You can either ignore it Pretend it doesn't exist. Pretend it's not happening. You can blame other people. Say, well, well, it's really not my fault. It's their fault. They're the ones that actually did it. You can make it. You can justify it. You can say, well, I had to do it because of this. Or it was, you know, every time you get pulled over, what's the immediate thing that goes through your mind? How can I justify the fact that I was speeding? You just start making up stories. I'm on my way to the hospital. You know. You can ignore it, you can blame others by it, or you can own it. See, Jonah has finally come to the place where he's ready to own his sin. He's ready to own it. He's ready to confess it. 
He owns his rebellion. He doesn't try to justify it. He doesn't any longer. He doesn't blame anyone else. He says, it is because of me that God has sent this storm. Those are incredibly freeing words. Incredibly difficult words. But incredibly freeing words. You see, when you try to hold in the guilt and shame that we so often feel for our sin, when you try to make excuses or justify or ignore it, it just gets heavier and heavier. As and it's exhausting as we try to carry around our shame and our guilt over this thing that we've done and we hold on to it. And the more excuses or more times we justify it, the more times we ignore it, it just gets heavier and heavier. And we got to make more excuses and, and, and more you know, mental gymnastics. And it gets heavier. And so when you finally get to this place where you're ready to just own it and let it go, able, when you're able to say, finally, it's my fault. I'm sorry. I did this thing. I own it. I confess it. It was just me. I did it. When you finally do that, it is like this giant weight around one's neck comes falling off. Like a weight that has been pressing down on your chest is finally lifted and you can breathe again. See, confession of our sin is, is not something that we just do the moment we come to the Lord. It's not something we just do the moment we're saved, the moment we trust in Christ. It is something we do every day. You see, a mark of Christian maturity is not simply having less faults, but being quicker to confess your faults. You are never going to find healing or renewal in your life until you learn that it is okay to admit your guilt and to own it. It is incredibly scary to admit something you think if the, if you do then it'll defeat you that you'll feel like a failure that the guilt will then finally break down the door that you've been holding it back and it'll overtake you but in fact the opposite happens the weight that had been dragging you down instead of crushing you at the moment of confession actually releases and you begin to get lighter and lighter until it's all gone that weight goes away because when you do it, when you confess, when you, when you own it, it is met with the words from your heavenly Father, I forgive you. Instantly. No strings attached. He doesn't come and say, okay, I'm glad you finally owned that up. Now if you do this, 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 and this, we'll be square. He doesn't say that. He says, I've already wiped it away. <laughs> Welcome to the party. It's, as, it's already been as far as the east is from the west. You've trusted in Christ. You come and confess that sin. It's already gone. Now that weight can finally be lifted. Because you are not met with more accusation. You are met with the loving embrace of a father who never left you. Not only does Jonah point us to confession, but he points us to how our confession actually leads to that forgiveness. In Jonah's confession, he tells him that the storm will stop if they throw him overboard. So here's what happens. They tell him, 
throw me over, Jonah says, throw me overboard. In verse 13, it says, nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, Lord, don't let us perish for this man's life. And lay not his blood on us, for you have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. They tried to do everything within their power to not have to throw Jonah overboard. They rode harder and harder, trying to fight the storm of God's judgment, and yet only, the storm only grows worse. Did you know that in the Old Testament, water is a, is a symbol, is a picture of God's judgment. Water is a symbol of judgment. Think of the flood, when God floods the whole earth with water. Think of the Red Sea, the water collapsing on the Egyptians and killing. Water is this picture of judgment. This storm, this water is the judgment of God aimed at Jonah. And Jonah knows that the only way to appease the judgment of God, the only way to get God's judgment off of him is through a sacrifice. He knew this because he was a Hebrew, and like every day in the temple, they're making sacrifices. So they're making sacrifices that are a substitute for them, that God's anger and wrath would be poured out on the animal instead of them. Like, and so he says, you've got to throw me overboard. Jonah says, I will be your substitute. I will be your sacrifice. Throw me overboard. Sacrifice me, and you will be spared. Jonah knows the Lord is after him. Jonah knows he is going to die. And if he sacrifices himself, at least he will get to save these sailors. Jonah did not know this. But God was using Jonah in this moment to paint a picture of what God himself would do a few hundred years later. That God himself would be our substitute. That God would be our sacrifice. That he would be thrown overboard, that he would be nailed to a cross to die the death we deserved, that he would take the storm of the judgment of God in our place so that we might be spared. Just as Jonah was willing to be hurled into the sea, so did God come willing to be hurled before the judgment of God that we might be spared. You see, when you, when you confess your sin to God, no matter how big or how scary it is, you will be met with grace and kindness and gentleness and overwhelming forgiveness because, not just because God is a nice guy, but because there is a substitute that has taken your place. The storm of the judgment of God is rightly aimed at all of us. Not wrongly aimed, rightly aimed. Jesus was thrown overboard. Jesus was sacrificed and substituted in our place so that the storm of God's judgment would not take us out. It would take him instead. We are spared because he was thrown overboard. We are spared because he endured the cross to rescue us. He went down so that we might go free. And then notice when he says, verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. We see the men throw Jonah overboard, and the, and the storm immediately dissipate, immediately go away. 
and imagine the feeling of these men who knew this is a storm from God and then throw this guy in the sea and immediately go away. And immediately what these men do is begin to make, they make sacrifice to the Lord. They make vows to the Lord. Remember, they had believed in pagan gods. They'd been worshiping, calling out to all these other gods. But when they saw the power of the one who created the land and the sea work, they turn their minds and their hearts and their lives toward him and make vows to him. Now, but, but we see this happen, and immediately the question might be, yeah, but how do we know if it's sincere? How do we know if it's real? How do we know they're not just playing games with God? Because how often do we do that? How often in the middle of a storm do we say, God, if you stop the storm, I'll do this. God, if you just do this thing for me, then I'll start reading my Bible. God, if you just preserve their life, then I'll go to church again. God, if you'll just save my marriage, then I'll go to church. God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. And we make this bartering with God. And we can see these, maybe these sailors were doing that too. Maybe they were, maybe they were saying, God, if you just do this, we'll, we'll, make, we'll, we'll follow you. But these sailors are making these vows, not in the middle of the storm, but after it was over. They make these vows and trust the Lord at the end of the storm. After they had already been delivered from it, they're worshiping the Lord in response to his deliverance. And that is exactly what we do. We do not come and, and confess our sins and, and worship and put our hands in the air and clap our hands and serve and give in order to get God to deliver us. We do not come and pour out our lives in hopes that one day God might deliver us. That is what every other religion in the world says. Islam says that if you do enough, if you have more than 50% goodness in your life, then you'll make it. If you do enough, every religion in the world says if you can climb the ladder, if you can do enough, then in the end, God will deliver you. But only Jesus says, you never do enough. So I'll do it for you. You could never climb high enough. You could never work hard enough. You could never believe enough. You could never do enough. And so I will do it for you. He completely delivers us, completely rescues us. And so all of our doing, all of our worship, all of our giving, all of our sacrificing, all of our singing is not to get God to do something, but in response to what he's already done. We clap and sing and celebrate what is already true of us. That he has delivered us from the domains of sin and darkness and death and delivered us into the kingdom of his light. See, God has been with us through the storm. He's already seen us. If we're followers of Jesus, he's already seen you through the biggest storm you're ever going to face. That's the judgment of God. He's already delivered you through that. And he will be with you through every other little storm that he's using in your life. But we must not forget about him once he's delivered us. Got to be like these sailors in that we come in response and make vows and follow him, trust him, and worship him. Not to get him to do something for us, because he already has. His deliverance should spur us on to greater and greater allegiance. His deliverance of us 
his rescue of us should further and further cement that our identity is not based on anything else other than that we are his adopted children. We belong to his kingdom and his kingdom alone. So the prophet is woken up. The dice is thrown. He confesses. He is sacrificed and thrown overboard, and the storm stops, and Jonah drowns in the ocean and dies. That's not the end of the story. That should be the end of the story. God would have been good and right and just to let Jonah be thrown into the sea, to sink to the bottom, and to hit it, and to remain there forever. He would have been good and just. But in verse 17 it says, and the Lord appointed. He appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You see, this fish that eats Jonah is no accident. This fish, this we we don't know what if it was if it was a whale, if it was a a, a giant grouper, if it was Loch Ness, Nelly, Loch Ness monster. We don't know what it was. But we know it is big enough to swallow Jonah whole. Like Pinocchio in the in the you know, in the animated thing. He's in the big belly. This fish is in the exact place at the exact time that he needed to be so that the moment Jonah hits the water, before he drowns, this fish swallows him up. And that fish is there by the sovereign appointed hand of God. When Jonah is thrown overboard, he is rescued. You see, sometimes, sometimes we wrongly think that the fish swallowing Jonah is the judgment on Jonah. That, oh yeah, Jonah ran from God and he ended up in the belly of the fish. But the fish is not the judgment that he received. That was the storm. Going through the storm was God's judgment. The fish was God's rescue. Because God could have let Jonah drown and would have been good and right to do so. But we don't see that. We see instead God using his merciful hand of rescue, sending a fish to deliver Jonah from a drowning death. See, God was rescuing Jonah because God was not done with Jonah yet. God was still chasing after Jonah's heart. Not only was God going to use Jonah still on the mission he originally called him on, but God was still working on Jonah too. God was not willing to let Jonah end his life in the state that he was in. He had more work to do on Jonah. Think of it like this. Think of the fish like a GPS, like the Maps app on your phone after Apple finally fixed it, or like Google Maps that has always worked right. What happens when you make a wrong turn? That lovely lady's voice on your phone so kindly, redirecting, now turn right up here, she kindly redirects you to the same destination that you were going to, just using a different route. And that is what God is doing when he sends the storm. He is redirecting Jonah. Redirecting him so that God can fix Jonah's identity problem. Already the storm has led Jonah to finally confess his sin. Sometimes God sends storms to get us to see our rebellion. So Jonah confesses his sin, and when he did... He wasn't met with more guilt. 
When he confessed, he wasn't met with the painful drowning death at the bottom of the ocean. Instead, he was met with the kindness of God who sent a fish to rescue Jonah from the products of his own sin. Jonah made a really big wrong turn. 3,000 mile wrong turn. And he just kept going in the wrong direction. And God in his infinite patience and kindness sends a storm and a fish to redirect him back where he needed to be. There may be some of you in this room this morning and maybe you need to re-examine your identity. Maybe you need to stop seeing yourself first and foremost as a businessman or as a mother or as pretty or as popular or as athletic or as rich or as poor or whatever as a Bengals fan because that ain't working out for you. Or a Steelers fan, that ain't working out either. (laughs) Maybe this morning, instead of seeing yourself however you see it, you need to finally adjust your identity to see yourself as the adopted child of God who is building an eternal kingdom to which you belong. Maybe this morning you need to finally confess to the Lord or to another person this sin, this guilt that has been just weighing you down. And you've been trying to ignore it, you've been trying to justify it, you've been trying to make excuses for it, and maybe instead of carrying around all that weight, it's finally time to set yourself free by owning it, confessing it, and being met with the swift forgiveness of the Lord or of his people. That we come not saying, if I did this thing wrong, but God, I did this thing wrong. Or to your spouse or to a friend, not if I did this to hurt you, but I did this to hurt you. Be set free. Maybe this morning you need to look at the sacrifice Jesus made for you. That he took the storm of God's judgment. And maybe for the first time in your life, you need to stop being religious and you need to believe in Jesus. Maybe you need to realize that you cannot save yourself. That you can never be good enough. You can never be holy enough. You can never never do enough of anything. You have to be delivered by him. Maybe this morning you need to come to him and give him your allegiance for the first time. Or maybe you need to sing and thank God for all the storms and fish that he sent in your life to redirect you again and again and again. I know my life was full of storms and full of fish because I like to get off track. And God in his kindness is constantly saying, nope, right this way, nope. Right over this way. Nope, right. Nope, nope, here. Like, like herding cats. Whatever the Lord would lay on your heart this morning, follow him. Trust him. He is a good navigator. He will lead you exactly where you need to be. Do not trust your own eyes. Trust him. I'm going to be up here. We're going to have some, some men up here. If you need to pray. If you need to talk. If you just want to come up here and pray, do that. If you need to stand and sing and be thankful for the storms in your life, do that whatever he would call you to do. Don't be like Jonah and fight it and run. Follow in submission. Father, this morning we're grateful for your kindness and grace and infinite wisdom in our life. And Lord, we do not always understand the storms you send. We do not always understand why we are going through the things we go through, but we know that you are kind 
and patient. And we know that you send storms and you send fish to rescue us. We know that you sent your only son to rescue us. And so, Father, this morning, whatever you would call us to do, if there are some in this room who've got, who've got some sin in their life, got some guilt, got some shame, got some mistakes, and they've been holding it in, Father, this morning, let them release it. Let them let it go. Let them just own it to you and confess and say, Lord, I did this. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And let them experience the sweet forgiveness of confession, the setting free of confession. God, this morning, if there's anyone here who's been trying to work their way to you, trying to row harder, trying to deliver themselves, and realize that they've got to just bow on their knees and be completely reliant on the mercy of, 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 of God. God, this morning, we pray that you'd help them to finally just bow their knees and give in and to throw their pride away and stop thinking they're good and realize that they're not good and they need to look to the only one who is. God, this morning, if we placed our identities in things that are not you, if built our identity around something else, Lord, help us to see ourselves and to reforge our identity on our sonship, on our daughtership, on our citizens of a kingdom of Christ and that alone. God, whatever people need to do this morning, I pray give them the strength to do it change the course of their life, to change direction, to call them back. Pray, thank you. In Christ's name, all those people said, let's stand and sing church.